Welcome to Bad Romance. I'm Jordane Searles. And I'm Bronwyn Isaac. And this week we are doing a movie that is known for being terrible, but in my estimation, it's fun. And it's one of those things where, like, critically it didn't do well, but if you check the Rotten Tomatoes audience score, it's a 61%. And I feel like that's way more accurate to what this movie is. Oh, yeah, definitely. Um... And I never I never look at the Google users percentage, but it has ninety two percent with Google users. Fun, yeah, because it's like a fun movie with fun actors. It's silly, but there's also like really well written lines that are like smart and ridiculous. Um, and also the setting, I feel like it's just visually very uh, comforting. Yeah. Yeah, and the film that we're talking about is The Boyfriend School, which is also called Don't Tell Her It's Me. And at the beginning, there was a song called Don't Tell, that was basically being said, Don't Tell Her It's Me, like it was a whole song. And then I tried to Shazam it, and Shazam didn't know what it was, which makes me feel like they wrote a song called Don't Tell Her It's Me for this movie, which I mean makes sense. This was in 1990, and this is still like in the era where people did that. Like, remember the, the yes, that was that was definitely a thing. I feel like in the 80s and even early 90s was writing a song for the movie. It's it's not that it never happens now, but it's so much less common. Yeah, and now when it happens, it's just like a weird. Like, remember when like we didn't even talk about this in the Fifty Shades one, but it was like a big deal that there was like a slowed down remix version of uh, "Dangerously in Love" that was in Fifty Shades of Grey. It was a big deal. They were like, "Wait, Beyonce was okay with this?" Because I mean, Beyonce, right. Beyonce actually does not end up in movies very often, probably because she's picky about which movies. And I, go, I gotta think that maybe she just knew that Fifty Shades of Grey was going to be a big deal, and it might not have actually meant that she watched or liked the movie. It was just a savvy business thing. But it I was would kind of, yeah. I would kind of assume it was a business move and that like, obviously she didn't have an issue with it because she probably wouldn't put, put her work there if she had an issue and had some sort of moral panic. Um, but she, I think she was just being pragmatic and, you know, she saw the dollar signs. Yeah, I mean, there was a song for Mannequin and the, the song in Mannequin is, well, is better known than Mannequin. So, <laughs> Yeah, I mean, (laughs) I feel like we we have several episodes where that's the case, where we're like, yeah, the song, you know, there's a lot in the song, but the movie, (laughs) I'm like, like, with with this movie, it's a movie, um, the actors are good, there's a lot of funny moments, it's visually fun, Um, it's just like the plot itself, it's just like who the characters are that bothers me. 
Right. Well, it's the plot itself that people would... Because, I mean, generally, when a movie has a silly premise, it's very hard, like, critically for it to do well, even if the movie is fun. But even, like, if you compare it to something... I kept on thinking about Roxanne during this, which, I mean, makes sense, because it's about a guy who wants a, a woman, and, you know, he you know he has to change himself, or he's, like, hiding or something. Like, it's like a... like it remind, And I watched Roxanne for the first time, like, just a couple weeks ago, which is why I'm thinking about Roxanne. And it's like a really silly movie, but it's like, it's Steve Martin. So it's like the silliness gets taken more seriously. And I feel like that's also similar with like Tom Hanks too, where it's like, he's doing something really silly, but we're taking it seriously because we respect this actor. Whereas for Steve Gutenberg, he was very, very famous in the 80s and early 90s. But no one ever respected him. And I think that's why his move none of his movies get respect at all. Like this doesn't get any respect. Short circuit doesn't. Um Police Academy definitely doesn't. Three men and a baby. Nope. No one likes I mean, people I mean, like three men and a baby. Maybe the best movie he was in. <laughs> like he cocoon like people make jokes about cocoon but nobody's like oh wow man i really like cocoon like i would say maybe the most critically acclaimed movie he's been in is a movie called diner from 1982 directed by barry levinson but i feel like so much of that is that barry levinson went on to be like a respected director right he did the the men in black did he do men in black no that was barry sonnenfeld anyway anyway he went to he went on to be like respected so people look back at diner and they're just like oh wow this is like the beginnings of the art right it's like once somebody's validated as being good at their art then you look backwards and you're like okay well yeah i like this too yeah (laughs) this person they collaborated with is also valid (laughs) oh but while we're talking about steve gutenberg i want I wanted to tell you that there is a Steve Gutenberg erotic thriller and it is called The Bedroom Window and I discovered it like just like cruising through Amazon Prime and because it exists I feel like we're going to need to cover it for In the Smut because Steve Gutenberg and, and I remember telling Kyle I was like it's a Steve Gutenberg and he's just like what yeah he did he started in the bedroom window in 1987 and it was like a clearly not what he's known for because he's known for you know this other stuff oh yeah it takes two my introduction to steve gutenberg was yeah that's what i I mentioned it takes two i said it's the best movie that he's in (laughs) it takes takes two (laughs) yeah Yeah. i mean steve gutenberg it's so we definitely have to do the steve gutenberg erotic movie because that's so funny to me yeah (laughs) i don't have anything against him so i don't know it's interesting it is interesting what you're saying about um silly premises and how hollywood perceives it and how critics perceive it because i think that's super true it's like there's a few actors and actresses that have given this pass of like well we know you can act and you can do comedy so you can be in a wacky movie and we will like take it seriously or or just like give the movie a chance, but that's so few people. And so I think there's a lot of silly movies that get way lower reception than they really need to. Like Love Potion number nine. Remember how much we liked Love Potion? Yeah, Love Potion. I, I, I talk about that movie all the time. I feel like when people ask me, you know, what's a romantic comedy I should watch that I haven't, I usually bring that up because a lot of people haven't seen it. 
Um, and because it was just so fun. Like, I just remember having so much fun watching it. Yeah, it was fun. And it's just like, well, it's because, like, Tate Donovan was one of those people that, like, was on the cusp of making it, but never actually did. Totally. And you can feel yeah. the energy of, like, being on the cusp. Um, and that's an exciting energy. And and I feel it's weird with Steve Gutenberg because he's obviously had a long career. Like, he's been able to pay his bills. Yeah. He's, he's a clown. He plays like a big bad in Veronica Mars. He plays like a pedophile on Veronica Mars. It was so weird to like see Steve Gutenberg like playing the villain. And I almost feel like it was a situation where it's like, okay, everybody thinks that I'm this doof. Let me get on Veronica Mars and, and play a violent pedophile. <laughs> I honestly think that people think he's a doof. I mean, some of it is because of some of the movies he's in are just like, are so ridiculous. Um, but also I think it's just his face. Like, I just think he has like, um, he just has like a puppy face and, does. Like, I, I, and I think it's cute, but like, I, I honestly think obviously there's tons of people in Hollywood who are cute. I mean, um, but the way that he's cute, I feel like it's like, he's the little brother, but he's like dressed up in a suit or something. He's cute in a very, like, earnest way, but not, like, in a Tom Hanks way where it's, like, folksy almost. Yes. Yeah, Steve Gutenberg is, like, um, yeah, it's earnest and homebred. Like, it's, like, it's, like, corn-fed, but, like, there's a lot of corn-fed actors. Yeah, um, it's, it's, it's funny it's, that... <laughs> I don't know what delineates it differently, but it just is different. It's just, like, he looks like a baby. <laughs> Well, yeah, I mean, think about, like, uh, him and Three Men and a Baby. Like, it's Ted Danson, it's Tom Selleck, and then it's, like, Baby Steve. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, like, you just, I don't know. I just expect him to, like, pull a fanny pack out of his cargo shorts. He's um, like, <laughs> totally. And, like, it's so funny because, like, if, if in older episodes, I'm very mean about Steve Gutenberg, and I don't remember why. I don't know what was going on with me, but, like, I feel like there are multiple episodes where I'm talking shit about I him. I remember, yeah, I remember you talking shit about him, and I thought it was so funny. <laughs> because it was, like, so random to me, but also, and I think I even called him hot in another episode, um, and you were like, really? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I don't, I, I don't know. Maybe this, maybe this movie made me remember what I liked about Steve Gutenberg because I feel like when I was a kid, I think that I thought, okay, when I grow up, I want to be with like a guy like that. And then there was Aww. like this whole like like area where I was just like, no, fuck that. He looks nice. I don't trust people who look like that. <laughs> That's an incredible. I love that arc. You were like, I want to marry him, and then you're like, he looks too nice. <laughs> And, like, I don't remember why I wasn't... I think I just... I think Reese... What happened is that at the time that I was talking shit about him, I had recently watched Three Men and a Baby, and it made me want to die. And I That's think... Fair. That's completely fair. And I think I just, like, projected it on... Because it was, like, Tom Selleck was, like... Like, he's, like, hot in a very, like, traditional masculine way, so... And Ted Danson is Ted Danson. So I guess I just was just like, I have to pick one person to blame for this. And I'm blaming Steve Gutenberg. Yeah, like he has, I don't know. It's like he's the sibling that everyone blames so that they don't get in trouble. Like that's yeah, like exactly. his energy. Um, you know he's going to take it. He's going to take it. Yeah, I know. And it makes me feel so bad for him. Yeah. And in this movie, he's literally playing a character like that, who's just like not taking control of his life. His sister's manipulative and totally bulldozes. Um, 
and he just like lets her. Yeah, so this film uh, was directed by Malcolm Mowbray, and I'm trying to see if he directed any... He turned to feature films with blah, 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 a, a movie called A Private Function, which I, I don't know what that is. Oh, he's British. Okay, that explains why I don't know what that is. Um, but yeah, he made some movies. Um, none of what. I have never looked at a filmography and just been like, what? (laughs) In a way that I have, like, this guy is rolling deep in British culture. I just think that I, I just, it's too British for me. Stuff like like Crocodile Shoes, High in the Sky, Monsignor Renard. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Like, I'm just like, all right, you are really British. Like, like the Pink Panther British. I was like, okay. <laughs> yeah, this is deep British. I, uh, it, it's pretty funny. Uh, and it was written by Sarah Bird, who is a novelist, screenwriter, journalist. And she, yeah, Sarah Bird. I almost feel like Shelley Long is playing a version of Sarah Bird because I'm trying to hold it, hold it up to the, see what I mean? <laughs> yes. I think the Sarah, <laughs> I think the, <laughs> <laughs> supposed to be um so yeah she seems quite accomplished there's she okay yeah this is based on her novel the boyfriend school from 1989 so they've turned this into a movie quick like it was optioned pretty quickly but yeah she has books called like die evil cheerfully um i feel so i'm just like dying at like all of <laughs> Just these projects that neither of us know anything about. It's just like this. The Mommy Club. (laughs) (laughs) It's it's like, I don't know why it's so funny to me. It's so interesting. Because, like, I'm just like, it's a whole other world. It's like a whole other world of, of movies. And I want to know, like, this is one where I wish that like we were a podcast where we actually looked into like how stuff gets made. Cause like, I really want to know. And there's not even the Wikipedia page isn't even detailed enough to tell us how this came to be. How did these two people who didn't have a lot of star power get all these stars and for this project is so. so Maybe maybe they, uh, they, you know, harness the power of the erotic. They had like the sexual vibes and they just got everyone on board. They really did. I mean, we got, we got Steve Gutenberg, we got Kyle McLaughlin, who is another one of those actors that does a lot of silly things and yet people really respect him because he did Twin Peaks. And because he did Twin Peaks, he can basically get away with he can get away with being on How I Met Your Mother for more than one season. <laughs> and I know. Like that's that's career goals. Your mother, but being being able to be taken seriously. <laughs> it's the same thing for um Brian Cranston. Like when I was watching season nine, I was like, Brian Cranston is in another episode of this. Like, imagine him doing that post Breaking Bad, just showing up on How I Met Your Mother. <laughs> it's so funny because I feel like with your acting career, on one hand, there's the point of like you don't have enough work to really say no because you need to make money or you need to get experience and so you take risks on things that you know might not be very good and then there's this middle space where like you're good enough that 
you don't have to take those and you can be more selective. And then there's this other space where like people are established enough that they just say, fuck it. <laughs> and I feel like that's like the Brian Cranston zone where he's like, fuck it. I'll do how I met your mother. It's like, you've reached such a point of being recognized that you're just playing again. And that yeah. seems really nice. That seems relaxing. Yeah. I feel like John Goodman also has that thing where like John Goodman can basically do whatever the fuck he wants because he's John Goodman. <laughs> oh, definitely. <laughs> Oh yeah, about, man! I hope we find a rom com with John. I wonder if John Goodman has ever done a rom com. I really want to talk about him because I was like, I thought that like I wanted my husband to be exactly like him on Roseanne. Like I would watch Roseanne and I would be like, "This is exactly what I want in a husband: like masculine but silly, and like listens to me when I talk and isn't against feminism. Well, I mean, I guess, I guess now in the new version of Roseanne, he's probably not as cool as he was, but like, I remember watching Roseanne and just being like, he's just fucking chill, man. Yeah. John Goodman in original Roseanne was great. Just women women telling him what to do and him just being like, yes, ma'am. He's like, okay, let me do the dishes. Like, tell me about your day. People stuff that adds up. God, what a man. Anyway, um, oh, man. Uh, so we've also got Shelley Long. And Shelley Long is such an interesting person. Like, I would love to do, like, a mini-series on Shelley Long. I realized how obsessed with her filmography I am because, like... You know, most actors get commended for taking risks, but Shelley Long, she left Cheers for her film career. And then, like, because she never did, like, an Oscar-winning performance, people refer to it as a failure. But in my opinion, like, she left Cheers because she was bored. She was doing the whole same thing over and over again. And then she got to do a bunch of different movies. And it's like, none of them are, like like super critically acclaimed movies but like the plots and like the range of stuff that she works with and like the different like she was in a bunch of different kinds of comedies and I think that that's cool that she decided to do that and I don't I don't find her film career to be a failure and I would love to talk about it because she in this is incredible I love her in this Oh, yeah, absolutely. She's fantastic. She brings it. I mean, she has such star power. She sells her role. Like, you believe she, like, yeah, like, you. I forget that she's not Lizzie Potts. You know, she's just so, she is Lizzie Potts. She is this erotic writer who has um, control issues. <laughs> oh, my God. Um, control everyone. And she's just, like, the perfect toxic character who you obviously wouldn't want to be friends with in real life but is great to watch she she's the kind of person where like if i was ever in like a very big depressive zone i was like what if i just like give her let her be behind the wheel from i feel like she would like organize my life and then i would have to be like okay it's time to set that boundary again because you're doing so much oh yeah no she's definitely the kind of friend you'd want in a depressive phase and she'd be like oh come live with me and like it'd be so comforting and then there'd be a point where you'd be like oh okay this is actually toxic so i gotta like get out but like for a while she'd keep you afloat and she'd like organize everything about your life and she'd create these narratives and you'd be like okay well i guess i want to see what's gonna happen she's like what if lily from how i met your mother actually said interesting things yeah like if lily was asked, like like also with lily with um lizzie potts i believe that she has background in academia and i believe that she's a writer 
Like she just has the neuroses where I can totally see her sitting down and writing these erotic books. Whereas uh, Lily, you don't really, you know, you see her pain on the show a few times, but she's never, she doesn't have that kind of personality where you're like, oh, you're going to go paint. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, it's just like, oh my God, Lily and her painting is so funny. It's so funny. I know. Like it's, just like, it's like randomly once or twice a season. She's like, I wanted to be an artist. And that's why I'm not supporting Marshall <laughs> or uh, whatever. <laughs> what a, I mean, they have to have an excuse for her to not support Marshall. Yeah, exactly. It's just like, <laughs> I don't know. That show just has to grasp at reasons for Marshall and Lily to fight that never go deep enough for them to be interesting. No, yeah. Uh, so uh, we also have Jamie Gertz. And Jamie Gertz is... Um, one of those actresses that was a huge deal in the 80s and then like just she went on to work but she was never like people don't talk about Jamie Gertz the way that they talk about Molly Ringwald like when Molly Ringwald showed up on Riverdale it was just like the queen has returned even though she had been on Secret Life of the American Teenager for the entire run of the show but since nobody watched that show um, (laughs) it was just like Molly Ringwald is back and I mean Molly Ringwald did have that whole like phase where she like went to France and I think she made a movie with Godard and then like came back so i wonder if she just like got her like got her like french cred and then when she came back it was like sure she can do just trash teen tv but like it i feel like there's this this uh, attitude towards certain stars from the 80s where we have a lot of respect for them and we're like happy to see them and i don't feel like jamie gertz gets that respect considering that she was in endless love 16 candles Quicksilver, Solar Babies, The Lost Boys, Less Than Zero. Like she like she had like a master run through the 80s. Yeah, like she was in a bunch of big movies. So yeah, it is really interesting that her name didn't really have the sticking power. Yeah, she was, she was on Square Pegs, which is a show that a lot of people remember for Sarah Jessica Parker. But Jamie Gertz was also on that show. They both got their her and Sarah Jessica Parker got their start at the exact same time. People don't remember that. <laughs> um, and so, I, yeah, and I wonder sometimes about like, you know, how much of that is choice and just like circumstance. And there's just so many questions that go into like the trajectory of not being not really being in the spotlight anymore. And uh, yeah. Yeah. Her last big role was Twister in 1996. And I remember watching Twister being like, fuck, Jamie Gertz was still a big deal in terms of Twister. But of course, everybody, Twister is Helen Hunt's movie, not Jamie Gertz's movie. And I think Jamie Gertz, I think she's playing the woman who like um, Helen Hunt's ex is like engaged to but then i think helen hunt's ex just ends up going back to helen hunt and then jamie gertz just kind of has to fuck off yeah she's pretty much just like it's like one of those storylines that's not really resolved it's like okay anyways back to the main characters yeah <laughs> yeah really sad over here but yeah jamie gertz she was a big deal and she was the main love interest in the lost boys like she is the girl who like brings jason patrick into the vampire into the vampire cool coven like it's because she's so hot that he suddenly gets mixed up with vampires i mean there's always a gateway hot person in a vampire movie so it makes sense (laughs) 
And so she, so this is the, so this is the story kind of about a guy, uh, there's a guy named Gus played by Steve Gutenberg and like, he has like a bald cap and he's got prosthetics. And I feel like he's like wearing, not like a full fat suit, but he's like layered up to make him look chubby. He looks like, um, Kyle mentioned this and it's actually perfect. Um, I believe dude's name is, uh, his name is basic. Okay. Let, Instead of like do he's a British actor, so instead of just mentioning the the British thing that he's in, I'll just say, remember in um in Bridesmaids where um Kristen Wick has those two roommates and one of them is Rebel Wilson and then there's that other guy and their brother and sister, but they're very close. He looks like that other guy who is very famous in Britain, so I feel bad for just calling him that other guy. <laughs> yeah, I okay. You know, I know what I'm talking about. <laughs> I mean, I know the character, but I I am not seeing his face immediately, so I need to just pull it up. Yeah, no, I just feel like we just need to pull it up because, like, I don't know, like, I'm sure that we have British listeners, and I wouldn't be able to be like, oh, British culture, we don't care. Like, we do care. It's just, I <laughs> oh, Matt Lucas. Yes, he looks like no. Matt Lucas. Okay, yes, he does. Yeah, he looks like um like an offensive version of Matt Lucas. Yeah, he looks like a joke version of Matt Lucas. And yeah, so that's what he looks like. And you find out that he like has like he had like Hodgkin's disease. So, you know, he had to deal with like a lot of like radiation and chemo. And he of course isn't really thinking about coming back into the dating pool at all. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Like he's basically, I mean, traumatized from two years of treatments and he's just like trying to heal. And he's also, his character is very much like a loner introvert. Like we never meet any friends that he has. It's very much like set up that Lizzie, his sister, the erotic writer is like the main person in his life and his little niece, Annabelle. And yeah, he's, he's making his comics. He's depressed. He um, doesn't want to put himself out there. He didn't really put himself out there that much before, but now his confidence and energy is lower after treatment. And so his sister decides that, you know, she needs to meddle and it's her job to like basically fix him up with someone and like get him happy. And and at first it does feel like it's coming from a good place. Like it, like she definitely needs to learn boundaries, but at first you're like, okay, this is totally a sister thing. I get it. And then, and then it quickly escalates. <laughs> Yeah, this is, okay, <laughs> it's wild, because, okay, so I watched this movie with Kyle, and the outlook that Steve Gutenberg as Gus has at the beginning is, like, like the dynamic between him and Shelley Long at the beginning of the movie, before she starts to really go off the rails, is, like, kind of, like, me talking to Kyle when he's bummed out. <laughs> like, <laughs> he's like he's okay. So Gus is like sitting there and he's like drawing and he's just like, I just write my obscure cartoons and my obscure magazines for obscure people. And I just like, I just turned to Kyle and I was like, that's you. <laughs> that is how you talk about your work. That's you. And he was just, and then he put his head under a blanket. That's really funny. Yeah. That line was so funny to me when he's like, obscure comics for people with obscure lives and I was like what is an obscure life that's a fascinating concept to me oh, oh just what is an obscure person like, like, yeah, like, like, okay, yeah if you're not famous then you know sure 
I guess there's obscurity, but like, what is being obscure? Like, that's so funny. And, and also like, why is that a bad thing? Like, he's like complaining about that. And I'm like, that's awesome. You have like a niche group of people who are really happy that you're making work. That's awesome. I mean, I feel like it's like a thing. I like it, you know, back when it was not cool to be a nerd, I think he was just uh, like, it's very much that it's just like, uh, I do nerdy things. And like, that's not cool because popular culture doesn't recognize ner- now popular culture loves nerdiness and now nerdiness is cool and now there's no but yeah i mean it was still very much in that time of like hierarchies so i guess especially because when you see that his competition in the movie is kyle mclaughlin and kyle mclaughlin's entire character is like I'm handsome, so I don't have to be interesting. I wear nice blazers. <laughs> yeah, I guess it's funny because I feel like the aesthetics of the movie, to me, would fit in with um, having more of an anti-establishment outlook. So it's funny that his character is kind of abiding more by the, I wasn't popular in high school, and so I feel bad about myself. When I, I guess I kind of wanted him as a comic book artist to like have a little more fuck you in him, like a little more punk rock, like, and he was just like, I don't like myself. Yeah, he's like a, he's just like a bummer. Like, there's, I'm sure that he has like colleagues that are just like, man, like my comics are really saying something. Yeah, like, like <laughs> exactly. Like, I, I wished that he had a friend who was like, nah, fuck the mainstream. <laughs> love that yeah yeah totally and i mean like i don't know there were com there were like comic writers from around this time that were just like who were like just as depressed but they were also cool like it was depression cool well yeah that i mean comic book writers specifically have never been um it's never been a profession that is glamorous like even if you're rich like you're doing it alone um it, the way that the mainstream culture treats you isn't like oh you're sexy it's just like oh okay this is a comic book writer who like makes money you know and and so like that's that was interesting to me like if he was like an actor trying to make it and he was in like a tiny indie thing and he was bummed out that would make more sense but for him to be like i'm a comic book writer and it's not sexy and i'm like well why did you start writing comics then right it's like (laughs) you remind me of um the comic uh the comic artist who uh is responsible for american splendor harvey peaker which like the whole american splendor thing was like i'm totally depressed and miserable here are my comics and oh i met a woman who was also depressed and miserable and like let's be together and like that's the whole story yeah i loved american splendor yeah because american splendor feels like he knows that's his life and i don't know it, it's interesting steve gutenberg's character i guess just i don't feel like gus as a character we don't really know anything about him besides the fact that he doesn't like himself <laughs> Right, yeah, we don't get to know, because I feel like if this movie was made now, his comics would be a much bigger deal, and we would know more of who he was before the makeover, because... I totally agree. Like, we would know what the comics were even about, you know, um, are they are they funny, are they political, um, is it, like, character work where the characters are like you're really going deep in their lives like is it the same bits every week you know what what are we working with yeah man i just feel like if this had come out like five years later it would have more of like a ghost world kind of tinge to it instead of yeah same because i think i was hoping for more of that because i was like oh cool he writes comics i'm gonna love this this is like made in 1990 
And I had a lot of fun with the movie, but I felt like that part of it was so underwritten. Yeah, well, because it's like, well, I think romance novels were also like, in terms of like, what's considered more mainstream, I think romance novels were at that time. So I think that that's part of it. Yeah, which is so funny. this, This was the time, the 90s was the decade where, I mean, it was the beginning of the 90s, but, like, you know, the ni- the late 80s and 90s were the time where we had, like, Favio, and, like, it was a thing where, like, w- romance still exists now, and people still less read it, but there was a time when, like, romance, what, romance novels were a thing that people were talking about. It was pop culture. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I remember seeing all the Fabio covers, like, in, like, Barnes and Noble, even, you know, like, it wasn't like you were at the cool small bookstore, it was just, like, everywhere. And so it was that moment. And it's also funny, because I I do think that uh, romance writers and erotic writers, that was, like, that was a character profile in the 90s, in a way that it's not now. Yeah, yeah. And I, oh my god, but yeah, it's just, Shelley Long is just, like, I'm a... I'm this like housewife, but I'm also like super glamour. She kind of reminded me of like what a not evil version of what Meryl Streep is in She Devil. <laughs> like, like she's <laughs> because like Meryl Streep and She Devil is kind of like a like she doesn't. You can tell that she doesn't really believe in what she's writing. Whereas like with Shelley Long in this movie, you she's sincere about well, yeah. Like Shelley Long, um, she goes too far, but she's also like fully believes her own obsession, and so that makes her more empathetic. Because you're not like, oh, she's just trying to ruin people's lives and play Barbies with real people. You're like, no, she's like so obsessed in this vision that she's gonna do anything she can to make it happen. Yeah, it's. <laughs> <laughs> so I mean, basically, I guess we can get to the actual plot, though. <laughs> yeah, I'm, just like, I'm like looking for I'm looking for one of her many quotes right now. But yeah, you should summarize the plot while I look for. So basically, um, so you know, Gus is sad, and Shelley Long goes to this like convention for romance writers, and um. Jamie Gertz, who her name is Emily in the movie, she's there and she's a journalist. And so she wants to interview people and write a story. She ends up connecting with Shelley Long. Jamie Gertz kind of says some things about, you know, what is she looking for with love? Um, and they have this exchange where Shelley Long is basically like, oh, I could totally snatch this woman up for my brother. Um Oh yeah, I loved I loved what Jamie Gertz had to say about like what she wanted for because it was just like so normal. It's just like I want you know a guy you know warm feet on a cold night. You know I just want somebody with like integrity who's just chill. And I was just like, yeah, girl, I get that shit. She's not asking for much, is the thing. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And so then um, Shelley Long invites her to dinner so that she can be interviewed, but then decides to invite her brother. And tells him to wear a toupee, which is awful. He is dressed, he is dressed like Dana Carvey in that scene in Master of Disguise, like Turtle Enough for the Turtle Club. He looks exactly like that. It's so bad. It was such SNL sketch clothing and toupee. It was so painful. And and I have to say, like Steve Gutenberg did a really good job of like playing Gus being genuinely vulnerable and self-conscious um, when he arrives there. And then it's awkward because Emily doesn't find him attractive and the whole situation is incredibly awkward 
at the dinner <laughs> table because <laughs> Shelley, because Shelley Long's husband is a maniac who's just like for this first dinner of these people that I this woman that I just met let me let me serve jellyfish salad and then play loud opera music at the it's table. so chaotic like it's so like I was like did he do mushrooms like what is going on also the movie has all these gratuitous shots of the food he makes which is I, I loved that. It was it's just like look at how gross this is. <laughs> yeah. And and also the back the also the fact uh a little bit of backstory is that Kyle McLaughlin is her editor. She's like a um editor at the paper, or the magazine or whatever, and he is also just like dating her and treating her like shit. And it's like he's so manipulative. There's a part where like they talk where she's like, well, that's against the rules that you said. And then he says rule change. And then I wanted to murder him. I wanted to murder oh, yeah. him. No, he plays <laughs> such a big piece of shit. Just like douchebag, like editor who just like, like is cheating on her. And then I don't, he's just he's he's cheating on her with mad dynamic, right? <laughs> yeah, he is. And, but I mean, he, he kills it as that role, of course. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so, so this dinner, it like doesn't go well. But of course, Steve Gutenberg is like totally smitten. He's just like, she's the girl of my dreams, which like, I like Jamie Gertz in this movie. And I think that she, I think that the problem with him feeling that way about her is that she's such a down to earth person that I don't understand why he can't be down to earth, like in relation to his expectations with her. You know what I mean? Yeah, I, I completely agree. And and like, you know, I understand why he would be interested in her in the in the sense of like, oh, she's a writer, you know, she's attractive, like blah, blah, blah. But like they meet once and then he forms this ridiculous obsession that his sister feeds. And it's like, it's like, I'm in love with her. And it's like, you watched her throw up <laughs> like after she ate your brother-in-law's disgusting food. Like, how mean are women to you? I kept wondering that. I was like, how mean have women been to him? Like, I, I it's not that I doubt that Gus's character has re- experienced any rejection or anything, but the way that he acts about Emily when she's, she's being nice, but she's not acting interested. She's not even like someone who's friendly in a way that could be misconstrued as flirting. She's just like, kind of uncomfortable and the fact that you become so obsessed i was just like how like do women just punch you in the face all the time like what is going on right it was just like she could sit next to me she could stand to have a conversation with me i must have her like it would have made more sense if it was like i i feel bad but like for lack of a better comparison like sarah jessica parker you know person who like when she walks in the room you know that she's looking for love and like like in a very like yes like there's that energy and it's there and and like yeah she 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 doesn't have that at all but then of course Shelley Long is like so invested in this and she's just obsessed with like getting them together and and then she ends up following up um to get a real to do the actual interview and of course she's nosy and so she's trying to get information about Emily's life and she finds out that Emily is seeing someone aka Kyle McLaughlin so then she rushes over to Gus's and is like, you have to do something. Emily's going to get married. You have to do something. And Gus is like, okay, well, what do I do? Like, um, you know, I can't 
force her to like me. And Shelly's like, oh, yes, you can. I'm going to turn you into a romance novel hero. Okay, so this is why, because, like, while she's doing this, Jamie Gertz is, like, reading her books and starting to kind of get into romance. So it's like she becomes, like, less down-to-earth because of these books. It almost seems like these books ruin her because, like, later, like, when Steve Gutenberg gets his, like, whole makeover and stuff, like, the person that he is being is so clearly not him that it's weird that she's impressed. Although, like, I do think that Steve Gutenberg plays that character well. It's, like, it's so obviously, like, if you're a down-to-earth journalist, like, why why would this even be a person that you would fall in love with? This is a person that you would, like, fuck a couple times. Come on, girl. (laughs) Yeah, it's so wild. Like, basically, like, Gus says, sure, sis, what do we have to do? And she's like, okay, so we're going to do this, like, insane workout routine, and we're going to tan you, and then we're going to make you, um, like, get a mullet and pretend you're from New Zealand, and she names him Lobo. Lobo. This mullet. (laughs) Jesus Lord. <laughs> I have never seen a hairpiece so out of control. Like just the length of it is it's unwieldy. I, I was just, laughing out loud when I saw it. I was yeah. like, this is so much. This is it is the most extra possible hair. It's like I get that he was bald, but you don't need to like go completely in the other direction. He doesn't need a mane, girl. He just needs like hair. Yeah, <laughs> he just needs like some eyebrows and some hair and you know, and it's also like weird it's very weird to have like a makeover thing after he had cancer like the body politics in this movie are hella problematic and weird just like just like like, i can't make you super hot after you have cancer so that women like you and i'm just like like i'm not saying that him like exercising or like you know growing his hair out in a way he likes is bad that's great but like the way that she does it is so ridiculous (laughs) So it's so it's just like because like when we meet him, he's just like in a sweatshirt. He's just like a chubby guy in a sweatshirt. And I'm just like, you know, chubby guys in sweatshirts are also fine. Like it's not. Yeah. It's not, <laughs> so and I mean, I guess it's because he's fixated on the specific woman. Right. You know, like, um, OK, well, this is what you need to get this woman. OK. So meanwhile, Jamie Gertz is really. <laughs> Her reading Shelley Long's writing in this is so good because she's just like, you you see her reading like the unyielding wall of his chest. Oh, yes, yes. Take me now. It's so, it's so good. It's, it's so good. Like her journey. <laughs> so funny. Like an unyielding wall. Like I know her journey. It is, it, it does feel almost like she becomes like radicalized by like, romance novels into this like obsessive like she's just searching for that high that the book gives her and so then when she does meet Lobo she finally gets that high (laughs) oh my god but Lobo is so wild also do you remember uh when he's working out when she she's like you gotta get tan because the only thing women like more than muscles are brown muscles (laughs) yes I noticed that line (laughs) like (laughs) out of control i just i was like i just my mouth was agape i was just like this is happening in this movie 
so and also the mullet okay so i was trying to figure out what he looked like and kyle was just like because he's because he's like a dork dude and kyle was just like he looks like a highlander and it's like that's exactly what he looks like yeah he totally does he totally does and his outfits like his outfits as lobo are so ridiculous i mean they're they're they are like the kinds of outfits that would be worn on the cover of an erotic book, but it's just, and he gets a motorcycle. Like that's he gets, like, a, he gets a motorcycle like we're in fucking Greece too. Like it's like, he wanted a cool rider and he is now a cool rider. <laughs> it's, just, it's so extra. And it's like, also I kept thinking about how these kinds of changes take a long time. So I was like, did you spend a year preparing to be Lobo? Like, you don't just get muscles overnight. Like, that takes months. So, yeah. like, did he, like, spend six months becoming Lobo? Like, how long were you stalking this woman for? <laughs> like, I need to yeah. know. <laughs> yeah, it's out of control. Like, I don't, yeah, it's, oh, my God. And also, we got we got Beth Grant coming. Kyle calls her Sparkle Motion because that's he, his reference point for her is Donnie Darko. But, yeah, Beth Grant, character actress Beth Grant, fantastic Love seeing her and everything. Love her. She plays a sensuality consultant, which is the most incredible job title I've heard. She's, oh my God. Just, I want to learn about eroticism from Beth Grant. <laughs> she, talks, she talks about foreplay, except she calls it kindling. <laughs> and she has like, um, she has like a dummy and she just touches the most random parts of the body. It's like, it's like, I, she has weird names for some of it. It's like the instep. So there's this part during Beth Grant's um, uh, demonstration, her sexual demonstration that I fucking love. And it's when <laughs> she says, making love is like building a barbecue fire. You got to hold that slow burn. <laughs> so incredible. It's, also had me thinking about barbecue, which I love. I was just like, wow, a barbecue fire. <laughs> yeah, no, that's nice. Yeah, I don't. It's so, <laughs> so funny. I just I love that she was there and she gave us that. Also, in that scene, I almost got virgin vibes from Gus. Um, just the way there was a one point where she's like, weren't you a Boy Scout? And then like. It seemed like he was like, wait, but we didn't do sex stuff in Boy Scouts. And then he's like, oh, yeah, 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 starting a fire. But like, I don't know, his discomfort. I mean, if I can't imagine doing this thing for my brother, like having a sexual consultant come. So I was thinking about that. I was like, that's such a weird lack of boundary. Um, yeah, it's, it's interesting how like invested she is in this. I mean, she wants him to be happy. And like, it's weird. It's weird because like. Like, you know, I compared it to Kyle before, but I feel like it's like a situation where I understand where she's coming from because I'm like that, where like I tend to like, I like not just Kyle, but like I date a lot of like homebodies who need like, who need encouragement because I guess I have a type and like, I'll just be like, and I'll just be like, yeah, like you could do this and then you could do this and like, it'd be fine. And so like, I'll watch her and I'm just like, I understand that she means well, like I, like I get it, but it's like, this is your brother. Yeah. (laughs) Imagine being like, okay, we got to get you hot brother. So you got to get pecs. Like, like that's another level. Like that's very different than saying to your boyfriend, 
you can make friends. <laughs> like, yeah, like it's weird. Like it's watching your brother jog in like a sweaty cutoff is like such a different situation. She talks to her brother like someone that she's either currently dating or used to date and like wants to like get him. She wants to be like, okay, I'm happy in my marriage. I need you to get married. <laughs> like, you know what I yeah, mean? Yeah, that's, that's like the energy is it feels very much like they used to date and now they're friends and she's, she's moved on and she wants him to be okay. Yeah. Oh my God. But yeah, so like it, like the makeover works and uh, Jamie Gertz, is so uh, into <laughs> Lobo. <laughs> is is so into Lobo, and um, they just have their little romance. And for some reason, though, like even though Kyle McLaughlin is cheating, he's like upset that she has someone else. <laughs> yeah, and like. And also the funny thing with her romance with Lobo is like they literally only hang out two or three times and it's always very weird. Like it's always very weird circumstances. Like they never go on a date and have dinner and then go have sex. It's always like they run into each other again and then he gives her a ride or she gives him a ride or there's a scene where she brings him over to his sister's house because of course she doesn't know that it's him. And it's like, you need to meet my friend Lizzie. She's just so weird and fun. And so it's tense because there's the shenanigans of like, him making sure that Lizzie, I mean, obviously Lizzie plays along because this is all her scheme, but then like, you know, his brother-in-law has to play along and then, you know, he's worried that like his niece will say something, but she, she doesn't really talk. She's just kind of cute. <laughs> oh yeah. The niece has a whole thing where she doesn't, she doesn't really speak. She like speaks at the end, but she like says basically everything but mommy, <laughs> which like annoys Shelly <laughs> I know, which I thought was so funny. I was like, that niece is going to need some serious therapy. <laughs> Like that poor girl. But then, you know, the mask starts slipping. I love when he speaks in his regular accent, how she, how she, um, Jamie Gertz comments, it's amazing how you can do such a bland white bread American accent. I know, it's so shady. And it really is like, oh, this is why he feels insecure. <laughs> like, <laughs> like she really. Yeah, he he slips up on the accent, and um, they have sex like once, and then basically like okay. So that's actually where I run into my issue because I think it's really uncomfortable that he has sex with her because it's just like <laughs> I feel like I understand the romance, but I feel like before the sex should have happened, he should have said who he was. Like yeah, waits is weird. When they have sex, it, he goes over there because he's gonna tell her. Um, and he, he's not planning to have sex with her. And then like, that's the same night that she dumps Kyle McLaughlin and he ends up seeing some of that happen. And he sees that Kyle McLaughlin has made an Amic in his car. So he knows that Kyle McLaughlin isn't shit. So then he arrives and he's going to tell her that he's Gus. And she's like, I don't know if you're gay or married or what's going on, but like, I just need this one night. Just tell me that you're not gay and tell me you don't have diseases. And he's like, uh, I don't, but, and she's like, I just need this one memory. And he's just like, but like, wait. And she's like, I know, I know this won't work. And she's just thinking like, he's going back to New Zealand or maybe he has a wife or something. And she just needs to have this night with Lobo. <laughs> um, and then of course, like, so he ends up having sex with her. And I completely agree. Like that is another level of uh, betrayal and deceit. 
um, to like have this whole mask and then have sex with someone under that pretense. And then the next morning he's like, I have to go. And he obviously feels guilty. And she's like, why? <laughs> she's like, why? You know, blah, blah, blah. And he, he finally is like, I don't have to go, but there's going to be some changes. And then he reveals that he's Gus and he like takes out his contacts and speaks in his normal voice. And of course, when he tells her that he's Gus, she freaks out, which I mean, who wouldn't? Like, I can't imagine meeting a man once at dinner and then him assuming a new identity to fuck me. Like, of course, like I was actually I would say one of the best things about this movie is how accurately she responded. She's like screaming. She wants him out. Like, she's just like, fuck you and fuck your sister. Like, she's just like, get out of my house. Yeah, yeah. But then, you know, it just becomes the whole thing where it's like, oh, no, she realizes that she loves him. And then Shelley Long's like, you know, you know that you want him. <laughs> and it's just like, she was just like, fine, I guess, peer pressure and the fact that I was radicalized by romance novels. I must go find him. And I mean, when she does find him, he just looks like regular Steve Gutenberg. And I'm just like, I feel like... I feel like she would have fallen in love with him if he just looked like regular Steve Gutenberg. <laughs> That's what I was thinking. Yeah, like, um, it's 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 just like, it is funny because he's cut off his mullet and he's like, and Shelley Long, of course, lied and said he was going to New York forever because she's still like on her romance novels flair, but really he's just going to Kalamazoo for a wedding. And so like, Emily steals his motorcycle. She like goes to his house. He's not there. And then she steals his motorcycle and rides it to the airport, which is really next level. And she's like figuring out how to drive a motorcycle on the way to the airport, which is so funny to me. I'm like, this is so unnecessary and ridiculous. And there's like an old Harley guy who's like, you know, he's like, Oh, nice. Like, like he's just like a nice old biker guy. She has an exchange with him and then she gets dirt all over. So her face is like covered with dirt when she's at the airport. And like, and then she's just like, don't go. And he's like, uh, he's like confused because he's just going to a wedding. And then he's like, why don't you come to the wedding with me? She's like, I think I love you. And he's like, why don't you come to the wedding with me? Which is so funny because it's just one of those airport scenes where he's like, another ticket. And it's like, okay, you would have to actually pay and you can't do that while you're boarding. And like, there's all these things and, you know, but it's okay because they're in a movie. And the guy behind them like shakes his head like, oh, love, oh, you know. <laughs> Ah, uh, yes, love is just rolling up on someone on, at the airport. I have never done that. Like, if I'm going to the airport, like, whoever I'm going to see knows that I'm coming because it's the airport and it's a clusterfuck getting in and out. And it's just like, couldn't imagine going to the airport to see someone missing them and then having to, like, get in another cab and go home. I'd be so angry. Oh, no way. The airport? Uh-uh. No not romantic nothing yeah i mean i also feel like that's a very pre 9-11 thing but i mean it still happens in movies since then but it's like like just the security logistics yeah (laughs) but yeah yeah. and then of course it ends with them like kissing and there's like a heart around them and then it zooms out and it's like it's shelly long with her binoculars (laughs) watching them shelly long it's just (laughs) She, I mean, she really crushes it. She brings so much to this role. 
she she's great god i love her god i would do like i don't know i would do a total side podcast on shelly long <laughs> yeah i mean she's she's fantastic yeah so yeah i mean this movie is like it's streaming and like why not watch it it's it's funny yeah just watch it it's a fun movie um and if you don't like it then that's life but i had a lot of fun with this one yeah yeah it was just i don't know it was it was just nice and like i mean like there's a lot of fucked up like stuff in it that would be fucked up in real life but it was just kind of like adorable and yeah i mean it's just so cartoony and um it just has a lot of good actors and it's like early 90s aesthetics in like a fun way just like this old gas station that there's lots of shots of and and shelly long's house like it's just visually a treat yeah so yeah i recommend just watching it thank you all for hanging out with us and more theme song is by clutch douglas great seattle band keep drinking water and wearing a mask when you go out and you know we love you we hope that you're hanging in there um i'm bronwyn isaac i'm jordan searles bye bye Bye.